Gives it away. Oh, there we go. Well, that sounds awful now. It sounded better when I couldn't really properly hear myself. All right. Luke chapter 2. This is a great passage of scripture. And we don't, yeah. And, and it's one of these interesting passages of scripture because it talks about the journey of Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem, to the temple, and who they meet at the temple. And so we're looking at it together. It's Luke chapter 20, Luke 2, 22 to 40. Let's read it uh, together just to, to warm up. When the time of the purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, verse 27, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. And at that moment, you would not want to drop baby Jesus. Like, like out of all the baby dedications I've seen, I've never really, I don't think, I mean, when I was a pastor, I, I never dropped a baby. Um, I can't recall, but I did think in that moment, you're actually, that's just not the moment to drop Jesus. Anyway, um, Sovereign Lord, and then Simeon prophesied, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess there, Anna, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband only seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. I love Luke, the doctor. He was so detailed in his account of the, um, of the story. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. We, uh, the family, we were putting up the Christmas tree the other day, <clears throat> trying to get into the spirit of Christmas. Now, putting up the Christmas tree means me watching, and um, just quietly watching, and you know, we had Michael Bublé playing on the YouTube, and you know, like the Christmas carols, and, and then, now, you know, Christmas time comes and we listen to all the carols, but because YouTube was, we had this kind of Christmas carol thing cycling, they had the, the lyrics come up, and in that, in that moment, I was just, you know, 
sitting on the couch. And I saw O Come All You Faithful come up, and I was looking at the lyrics again, and I have sung O Come All You Faithful a lot. Right? We, we, we've probably sung it, you know, hundreds and hundreds, you know, maybe getting into the thousands now, into the thousands. But for that moment, I saw the lyrics afresh as I was sitting there last weekend. And it says, O come all ye faithful, O come all ye faithful, and then towards the end it makes a declaration, Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. And in that moment, I thought, I had never actually quite seen that before, because at Christmas we celebrate Jesus the baby, we don't think about Christ the Lord. At Christmas we talk about baby Jesus being born, and then in that moment, as I looked at that, Carol, I recaptured again, actually, we are celebrating Christ the Lord, not Christ the baby. And it, 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 as I was looking at the lyric again, I noticed it goes on and it says, Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. And I was thinking about that word adore, and it wasn't adore in the sense of because he's a cute baby, but it was come, let us adore him, like adoration because he is Christ the Lord. And so I and then I got into preaching mode. So I brought the kids over. And um, I said, this is... <sighs> My long-suffering wife. I, I said, this is amazing. Like, let's go back to John chapter 1, where it says, in the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was God. And then in O Come All Ye Faithful, at the end it says, Jesus, to thee be glory given, Word of the Father now in flesh appearing. That God was appearing in human flesh. You know, we might get a little bit like, oh, Christmas carols. Here they come again. But actually, some of these Christmas carols have great theology. Better theology in some ways than some of our more modern-day worship music. Jesus, to thee be glory given, word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. We're not celebrating the birth of a baby. We're celebrating Christ the Lord. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. So I really got into it. And Christmas and putting up the tree, and I said, let's... I was really excited. And I thought, we're actually not just here to celebrate the birth of a baby. We're here to celebrate the Lord of all creation. He was there right at the beginning of creation and is now here in human form. And so this morning, I want to ask a question. And the question is, what do you really believe about the baby, baby Jesus? See, the theological response, the right response should be, oh, Simon, he's Christ the Lord. He's the Messiah, the King, the one that's promised in the Old Testament. But the reality is, and the thought I have this morning is, often I live like Jesus is still a baby, not Christ the Lord. You see, if he's Christ the Lord, then he'd be Christ the Lord over my relationships, Christ the Lord over my family, Christ the Lord over my career, Christ the Lord over my work, Christ the Lord over my marriage, Christ the Lord over everything submitted to him. And my real challenge when I was reflecting on this him was I suddenly realized sometimes I live like Jesus is still a baby. I don't, I haven't necessarily given, have I given him every part of my life? Have I submitted everything to him? This week I've got a difficult situation unfolding at work and I'm driving home on Wednesday. I'm thinking, Jesus, I've got this. I know how to sort it out. And then I felt this sense of Simon, actually, the way you want to sort it out is not right. And then I was reflecting on my sermon, which I've been, you know, percolating away this week in writing. And I was saying, I felt a sense in which, Simon, if, if I'm the Lord, then I want you to deal with the situation and work in this way. 
even though that goes right against what you think is the best thing to do right now. And so I want to talk this morning about how we go on this journey from, as Christians, living still as Jesus is a baby to Christ the Lord. And I want to suggest this morning it's a life, it's a, it's a kind of a journey that encompasses our whole lifetime. Because on the face of it, we say, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is the Messiah. We sing the carol, but then we go back on Monday and we live like he's still a baby and he has really no, we push him, push him out, out of our lives and just, just call on him as required. And so I want to talk this morning about three characters, the parents, Mary and Joseph, their journey, Simeon, his journey, and Anna and her journey. And I want to look at all these three characters who all found themselves in the temple in Jerusalem, pondering over this baby Jesus. What did they really believe about this baby Jesus? All three characters took a different journey. I mean, Joseph and Mary literally journeyed from their hometown in Nazareth to Jerusalem. And when I drove that with my dad, that journey back in March, it takes a couple of hours, you know, maybe an hour, an hour and a half. So it was a, yeah, it was a decent walk from Nazareth to Jerusalem. And then there was Simeon, who lived in Jerusalem, and he had quite a short journey because he just had to journey from somewhere in Jerusalem, wherever he was living at the time, to the temple. And then we have Anna, who was always in the temple, just waiting, worshipping day in, day, out, day in, day out. So I want to talk about three characters this morning and their journeys. And the first person, first character I want to talk about is um, surprise parents, which is Mary. Amazing thing about Mary is that Gabriel comes to Mary, right? We know this. In Luke chapter 1, 28 to 38. And Gabriel specifically tells Mary a bunch of things about Jesus. She says he will be given the name Jesus. He'll be the son of the Most High. He will sit on David's throne. He will reign over Jacob's descendants, and his kingdom will never end. I mean, it doesn't get much more theological than that. Like, you're Mary, and the angel has just appeared and has given you quite a lot of information about Jesus. And with all of that information, you would think that Mary would be really certain about what she believed about the baby in her womb. But I want to suggest this morning that Mary was quite uncertain about what was happening inside her womb and what was happening to this, who was this baby growing in her womb? Because there's no doubt that Mary responded with submission. She was a she responded with humility and with submission. And we, we actually picked that up in Mary's song. So a little bit later, once the angel disappears. There's this beautiful song in Luke chapter 1, 46 to 52. But if you read this song, which I'm just going to read it out now, my soul glorifies the Lord. My soul rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. And what do you pick up about that song? Not once does Mary talk about what she really believed about Jesus. And I want to suggest this morning that Mary was really puzzled. Really puzzled and a little bit unsure about baby Jesus and what she actually believed. It remains unclear in the scriptures as to what Mary believed about Jesus. 
And this is interesting because Mary and, Mary and Joseph, they travel to Jerusalem, they travel to the temple, and when they get there, we'll talk about Simeon's prophecy in a moment, when they get there, Simeon takes baby Jesus and speaks this amazing prophecy over Christ's life, and their response is set out in the text. The New Living Translation said they were surprised. The New King James Version says they, were, they marveled at what Simeon said. And in the message with Eugene Peterson's translation, it says they were speechless with surprise at Simeon's words. But if you were Mary, and the angel had appeared and specifically told you who this baby Jesus was, why would you be surprised at Simeon's words? Why would you marvel? Why would you be so surprised? Wouldn't you be more thinking, this actually just affirms what the angel told me. And I want to suggest this morning that Mary was a little bit puzzled about what she believed about baby Jesus. There are moments in our lives as parents when we get a little bit surprised about what our, our kids' achievements. This is a bit of a sore point for me because I was 13 years old and I was going over the Harbour Bridge towards Lloyd Ellsmore to represent North Harbour in cricket. And my mum and dad said to me, Simon, we can't believe you made it into the rep team. We're surprised, Simon, that you made it into the rep team. I said, Mum and Dad, you know how good... I'm such a great bowler. I can't believe you said that. And it's obviously, obviously I need some counselling because I have held on to that for a lot of years. What am I now, 40? You know, a lot of years. And then on the way home, after I took the most wickets in that tournament, this is my brag moment, Mum and Dad drove home and said to me, we can't believe you took all of those wickets in the tournament. <laughs> Talk about being surprised, eh? at your children's accomplishments. And that's like Mary and Joseph, like they're at the temple and they're like, wow, that's surprising, what Simeon said about baby Jesus, which is surprising to me. Because, you know, I've never, ever really thought about what Mary believed about Jesus. Have you ever thought about what Mary believed about Jesus? You've got the Son of God growing in your womb, but it's okay to be puzzled. It's okay to, be, to have questions. In fact, there was a modern-day hymn that was written about this, right? Mary, did you know? That's the name of the hymn. Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new, that your child, this child that you're delivered will soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will give sight to a blind man? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will calm a storm with his hand? Did you know that your baby boy has walked where angels trod, and when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? Mary, did you know the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the Lamb? Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect Lamb, the sleeping child you're holding is the great I Am? Oh, Mary, did you know? And I sometimes wonder, like, if I'm like Mary, because I hear what other people will say about Jesus, and I come to church, and I listen to various preachers and teachers, but actually, what do I really believe? And what I really believe about Jesus is not in what I say from the front, but how I live Monday to Saturday the rest of the week. So what do you really believe about baby Jesus? I mean, I know the right response. But do we live as he's Christ as Lord? 
And this idea that Mary was puzzled is actually picked up finally in Luke chapter 2, which is an interesting passage of scripture. Mary and Joseph, they go to Jerusalem. The Bible says they go to Jerusalem every single year for Passover. And on this moment, they lost Jesus, right? We know the story. They lost Jesus. And the interesting thing is that Mary, an anxious mother, goes back to Jerusalem, finds Jesus at the temple, and he said, did you not know I'm supposed to be about my father's business? And Mary is completely bewildered by it. She's still unsure about Jesus. There was a moment further on in the Gospels when Mary comes to see Jesus. Jesus had just performed a miracle, and they came to see, Mary came to see Jesus because she was worried about him. And Jesus has a response where he talks about those who are, you know, they, they said, hey, hey, Jesus, your parents are here. And Jesus said, actually, um, my family are those who, who do my will. So Mary, in my, in my, my suggestion this morning is Mary was going on a journey. She had some questions and she was a bit puzzled about what she believed about this, this baby growing in her womb. But I want to also say this morning that despite being puzzled about Jesus and perhaps what she believed, there is no doubt that Mary and Joseph were supremely faithful. I mean, the, the opening verses say, say, in verse 22, when the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had come, Joseph and Mary, they traveled to Jerusalem. They were absolutely committed to the Torah. They were committed to following Jewish law and doing the right thing. They had good habits in place, right? They were, they were committed to doing the right thing. Mary and Joseph, in verse 44, that says, you know, every year they would travel to Jerusalem for the Passover, And even though there were questions, even though I want to suggest that Mary had questions, she was very faithful, very faithful to and committed to doing the right thing. And you know, the people that I've traveled with in terms of my own Christian faith over the years, and I've noticed them start to to have questions and start to, to have doubts or start to think a little bit about what they believe. Sadly, friends of mine who have kind of pushed faith away out of their life have often let their questions stop them from pursuing particular habits. They've, these people have had, where questions kind of have taken over their life so they stop coming to church and they, they stop praying and they stop being generous, and then their faith just kind of slowly kind of dwindles away. And I want to, I think one of the wonderful things about Mary is maybe despite maybe being puzzled and maybe sometimes having questions, she and Joseph had good habits in their lives. They were committed to following Torah. They were committed to being faithful to the Jewish law. Despite Mary's questions, she remained faithful. She was submitted to God's will, she was humble, and she was faithful. And habits are so important in our lives, aren't they? Habits shape our character. Habits shape our faith. I grew up playing the trumpet, and my kids think it's remarkably geeky to play the trumpet, and I get a lot of hassles at home. The reality is I don't live in a cultured family. My family are not cultured at all. They don't know the classics, uh, including my wife. I can say that because she's not here this morning. And she won't listen on the, the podcast, what, what have you. But I remember my mum every single week would take me over to Mount Eden, and um, I, I, uh, my faithful mother, 
from Maringi Bay to Mount Eden every single Wednesday, and I'd go into the APO orchestra um, rehearsal rooms, and this trumpeter who was excellent, he was from, he played all over the, played all over the world, and, and he taught me something really important. He said, Simon, practice does not make perfect. Practice makes permanent. Practice makes permanent. If you practice with the wrong technique, it's just going to start, it's going to, it's going to affect how you play the trumpet from here on in. You won't be able to play the great concerto summon if you don't practice the right way. Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice makes permanent, which is right. Because actually practice, it, the, the habits in our lives, they shape our character and they shape our faith. Habits and character, our habits help shape our character. I mean, even, in my, even though my glory days of cricket are over, I live vicariously through my boys now. And um, when I'm, I, these days I've been doing some coaching and things, and I always say to the boys, actually, you should practice in the nets like it's game day on Saturday. If you muck around in the nets, you're gonna, if you bowl like this at the nets, actually, that's not going to help you when you bowl on Saturday. Um, you need to realize that practice makes permanent. So can I say this morning that maybe you're in Mary's category. Maybe you have some questions and you're a bit puzzled about Jesus and what you really believe in terms of how you live and this idea of Christ the Lord. Can I say to you this morning, encourage you to remain faithful to good habits in your lives. Keep coming to church. Keep praying and believe that God will continue to to help work you through those questions and to give you his revelation of who Christ is. Secondly, the visionary servant. Simeon takes baby Jesus into his arms. This is the other character from the parents. And he gives this remarkable prophecy, which we pick up in verse 28. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people, Israel. Simeon didn't see a baby. Simeon saw salvation. He didn't see a baby. He saw a Messiah that came to rescue Israel, and he went further. Simeon had remarkable vision. He didn't see just the Messiah that was coming to rescue Israel. He saw salvation for all nations. That's remarkable vision. That's why I've used the word visionary servant up there. And I want to suggest this morning that faith is about vision. Faith is about perspective. Faith is about what we see. Faith is about looking through something and asking the fundamental question, God, what are you saying in this situation? Faith is about perspective, which is picked up in Hebrews 11.1. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And I want to suggest this morning that Simeon had remarkable faith. He was sure about what he hoped for. And that moment as he gave that prophecy, Sovereign Lord, this baby will be salvation, not just for Israel, not just to rescue Israel, but he'll be salvation for all the Gentiles. That's amazing, faith. That ability to see. He didn't see just a baby. He saw through the baby and he saw God's grand plan behind that. That's remarkable faith that Simeon had. You may have read, there's a, there's a well-known book, it was, it's a few years old now, but by Jordan Peterson called 12 Rules for Life. It's an interesting book. He's a clinical psychologist, and he writes an interesting point about this idea, about perspective, and how we as human beings think and kind of engage in the world around us. And he says, before the dawn of the scientific worldview, reality was construed differently. What it meant to be human 
was understood as a place of action, not a place of things. It was understood as something more akin to a story or a drama. That story or drama was lived, subjective experience, as it manifested itself moment to moment in the consciousness of every living thing. But those who existed during the distant time in which the foundational epochs of our culture emerged were much more concerned with the actions that dictated survival and with interpreting the world in a manner consistent with that goal than with anything we now understand as objective truth. And Peterson goes on to say that we, it's so easy as humans to see the world in front of us, atoms and molecules, and basically see everything that's happening just through a material lens, a situation at work, a situation in the family, or, or a difficult relationship issue. The challenge, he writes, is to see the world through a story lens, to interpret our life in, the, in, in, in view of this, this much bigger story. It's having, and I want to suggest that faith is about that perspective, because faith is saying, God, help me to not see the situation in front of me. Help me to see what you are saying to me about the situation in front of me. God, help me to see through the situation and to see you at work. And I want to suggest that that's what Simeon did. He had this remarkable ability not to see the baby in front of him, but to see behind that and see God's story unfolding. And to see our lives as actors in this, in this drama. To see our lives as God is actually at work in your life. God is at work in my life. God, what are you saying? Something's erupting at work. Something's erupting on the home front or there's a difficult financial situation, whatever your life looks like right now, it's saying, God, help me to slow down and help me to have the faith to stop and say, God, can you help me discern you at work in this situation? That's what Simeon did. He was tuned into the story, the biggest story that was going on behind the scenes. This is not just the birth of a baby. This is salvation for the nations, salvation for the Gentiles. How do we develop eyes of faith? I want to suggest there's three ways. And we can pick this up from Simeon. One, it says this. He knew the scriptures, right? He knew God's promises. Verse 25 says he was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. How do we develop this perspective, this faith in our lives? By soaking ourselves in the scriptures and God's promises. That's Simeon. He was a man who knew the Torah. He knew the Jewish promises. He knew what you like, if you like, the, the Jewish books in the Old Testament. And he knew them so well that he was absolutely crystal clear. He was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Secondly, he was open to the Spirit's leading. He was there in Jerusalem, and, he says, and the Bible says in verse 27, he was moved by the Spirit. He was moved by the Spirit. Am I open to the Spirit's prompting? My dad runs a travel company, and he takes escorted tours. It's a sweet life. He takes people to Croatia and Vietnam and Spain and exotic little tours. And I tell you one thing, every person that goes on my dad's trip wants an itinerary. They want to know what's happening every single day. That's human. We want to know. We, we wake up in the morning, we want to know what's happening today. No one rings up my dad and says, hey, Eric, I trust you. I know you're taking me to Croatia. You got it. 24 days in Croatia, dad, door to door. You got it. Don't worry about the itinerary. I trust you. But that's the Christian way, is Jesus said, come follow me. There is no itinerary. That's the Christian way. Come follow me, no itinerary. Are we open to the Spirit's prompting in our lives? And as I have a difficult situation for me unfolding at work this week, and I think to myself, God, am I, am I open to you? Or do I want to resolve in a way that makes me look really good? Or am I going to resolve in a way that's actually more honoring to you? 
Because that's the real crunch of what it means to be a Christian, right? Christ the Lord, not Christ the baby. The interesting thing about Simeon, he then said, Sovereign Lord. When all is said and done, if we can reach a point in our life when we acknowledge that God is sovereign, I think we've reached quite a significant place of Christian maturity. It's pretty hard to come to that conclusion in our lives, especially when things are not going pear-shaped. Eyes of faith develop, I want to suggest, when we know the scriptures, we know God's promise. Faith, by the way, Paul says in Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Openness to the Spirit's prompting. There is no itinerary, but God, I'm open to you. And thirdly, understanding God's sovereignty. Final character. The joyful talker. Anna had the gift of the gab, and I can, I can relate to Anna. She basically, <laughs> beautiful. There was also a prophetess, Anna, verse 36, the daughter of Phanel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after the marriage, and then she was a widow. And she worshipped and fasted and prayed and just stayed in the temple. I love this. Verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She didn't just... She wasn't like Mary. Mary had some questions. She wasn't like Simeon who was there to give, to to really look at Jesus and see into the future and what Jesus would accomplish. Anna was much more kind of a simple approach. We don't know what Anna believed, but it was enough that she had this remarkable joy about seeing baby Jesus that she wanted to tell everybody around. I could just imagine Anna just wandering around the temple looking for people. And... um, I could imagine her just, she's like my mum, my Irish mum, who has the gift of the gab, and she will just make friends with anyone, in any moment. She'll be in a queue, and she'll just start talking to the person behind her, the person in front of her, and just get connections going and stories. You know, she'd be a great kind of Tupperware-type salesperson. Um, and I think Anna is a little bit like my mum, just would just overflowing with just wanting to talk. And, 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 and you know she was from the tribe of Asher. So Asher was the eighth son of Jacob, and Asher actually means happy one. And there was this remarkable joy, and it's this remarkable, and what can I say, which I've heard so many times before, but I'll just repeat because it's so true, that joy goes beyond circumstances. It's not happiness. If anyone had had a difficult life, it seemed like Anna had, Right? Like, she'd only been married for seven years when her husband passed away. We don't, we, you know, we don't know at what stage in her life, but we know that she'd been, then was widowed until she was 84. So life had, had its difficulties for her. But she had, it seems, this, this remarkable joy, such a joy that she just overflowed and just wanted to tell anyone who was hanging out in the temple all about this baby Jesus. And so I'm going to tell you something this morning that is a secret which you'll pick up as to what brings joy into our lives. Not one of those secrets like how to make heaps of money or anything like that. It is how do we actually find joy? And I think the secret is found in Anna's life. The Bible just talks about how she worshipped. And I was thinking about that. How do we bring that joy into our lives? I hope when I'm long gone that people remember me hopefully as a person of joy. How will you be remembered? I want to say this morning, 
that when it comes to joy, when it comes to worship, why does worship bring joy, why does worship bring joy into our lives? Because worship, when we stop and we just magnify God, we say, God, even though I've got these challenging situation or a challenging circumstance, God, I just magnify you. And what worship does is it brings God into your, the photo of your life. It brings God out of the background and into the foreground. See, what happens in our lives, right? We look at the circumstances in front of us and all we can see all the, the challenges or the issues. And God is somewhere in the photo but way behind, kind of almost photobombing. But what worship does is bring God right back to the foreground of the photo. So our focus is on him again. And we know we can trust him that the situation or whatever we're walking through can resolve. So I want to suggest this morning that God, and, and, what the, and then that brings joy into our lives. As, we're back, as we bring God back into the foreground of the photo of our lives, that brings joy back because we can trust him. God, you really are the creator. And you actually are sovereign and powerful and omnipotent. I mean, I've been reading Exodus in my quiet times recently, right? Just walking it through. And I was reading this morning just about them walking through the Red Sea. I mean, you think in that moment, God, if you could do that with the Red Sea, you can pretty much do a lot of, you can do a lot of things in my life too. But it's bringing us back to who is the God that we really worship, right? Not just like what we say about God, but what do we really believe in terms of how we live? So as we wrap up, wrap up this morning... I want to ask this question is, where are you at on your journey? And I entitled this message 18 inches because they say that the distance from your head to your heart is around about 18 inches, right? And so the journey for all of us, and I want to suggest it's a journey, for, that's, it's, it's a journey of a lifetime, is, is, is as Christians we progress from living like Jesus as a baby to Jesus as Lord. Over all of our lives, everything submitted to him. And what stage are you at on your journey? And we can learn a lot from those three characters. We can learn about the faithfulness of Mary. Maybe you've got questions this morning, and God's just saying, hey, continue to keep those habits in your lives. Don't let the questions overtake the habits. Because as we continue with those habits in our lives, God can use us. We keep opening the Bible, keep praying, and God can speak and help guide us and work us through those questions, right? Don't fall out of fellowship or stop going to church and stop going to small group because you've got questions. And I've seen that so often and it's so sad. Secondly, the eyes of faith. Maybe this morning, right now, you're not like Simeon with eyes of faith. All you can see is right in front of you and, 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 and Simeon says, look behind you. See the, see the story that's going on behind you. Give me the eyes of faith of Simeon to give that fresh perspective. Or maybe it's just the joy of Anna. And maybe God is saying to you this morning, actually, I want to do a work in your life. Maybe that you would know afresh at this Christmas time, just this remarkable baby, Christ the Lord. See, our journey is journeying from what we might say at that head level, Christ is Lord, right? We sing, O come we faithful, Christ is Lord. The real challenge is how do we, is, is living that out. So I want to encourage you this morning. Please do something with my sermon. I want you to go home and genuinely reflect on those three characters. Do any of them mark any significance for you? Can you relate to any of them? 
and ask God just to reveal where you're at on your journey and what, is, what does he want to speak to you about? What does he want to speak into your own life in terms of where you're at on the journey as you move from Christ the baby to Christ the Lord? Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you for the wonderful birth of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. And thank you, Lord, that there's no ordinary child, not just a baby, but Christ the Lord, the one who was there right at the creation. And we just worship you and thank you for that. Lord, I just pray this morning for those who maybe feel a little bit like Mary and they've got questions that, that, that you'd help them just to encourage them to remain faithful, Father. Or maybe for those who are struggling with something that's kind of become big in their world in terms of some circumstance or some issue, that you'd give faith a fresh, Lord. Fresh perspective, Lord. And for those who may be struggling with joy or just to kind of re-engage with the Christmas story, that you'd fill them again with a fresh sense of your joy, Lord. I just pray that this wouldn't just be another Christmas, Lord, where we, where we, where we, where we kind of think about the, the birth of baby Jesus. But I pray this Christmas, Lord, that you'd help us to continue to move forward on our journey, making you the Lord of our lives in reality. I just bless my friends this morning in your name, Jesus. Amen.